Listening Dog Media. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Offside Rule. Myself, Kate Borsay, joined by Lindsay Hooper and Hayley McQueen. You're going to get a boxing intro. Oh, it was Michael Buffer style. In the ring. (laughs) A bit deeper than that. How are we? In the red and in the gold. All right. Yeah. Starting already. How are you, Hayley McQueen? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. I'm just about getting over the old firm at the weekend. Flipping heck. Didn't look good at all. No, it was a bit feisty. I was hoping for a really competitive game and that's exactly what we got. (sighs) Unfortunately, the headlines came from the problems that arose after the game in the city centre, after Scott Brown incited the crowds. Yes, he did. After there was a big melee on the pitch, there was trouble in the tunnel. It's just a shame that it was so bad tempered. And that's unfortunately what it will be remembered for. And as well, there was there were stabbings in the city centre, the serious side of things. Francis McCann is fighting for his life. There was that old saying, wasn't there? The famous Shankly saying, you know, football is far more important than life and death. You know mm. the saying, don't mm. you? It's not really, it's is not, it? It's not, is it? No. It's not. And you were there to witness it all so bad that the Scottish Police Federation vice chair has said that Scottish football is in crisis. Would you agree with that? In some ways, yes, because we've seen a lot of these problems with the sectarian chanting this season, with coins being thrown and other items being thrown at players, either in the dugout or at the side of the pitch. Is it getting worse? It feels like it is rather than getting better. It does. It's almost like one person does it in a crowd and it's like, oh, well, I'll do that next time. Well, I want to better that. Well, I could probably hit him if I tried this time. Yeah, it's not it's not good at all. It's not good to see. And unfortunately, uh, something needs to be done. Well, fortunately, something does need to be done to try and stamp it out. It's not great when this is what you're reporting on every week as opposed to just the football. Lindsay Hooper, how's your week been? Very different. Very, very different. I don't know how to segue from that into Chris Kamara showing me his Christmas album release, Early Doors. Um, He started it. So I was at, yeah, I don't know, how did we do that? I was at Crystal (laughs) Palace against Huddersfield. I love seeing Chris at games. He was there and he was really bubbly and excitable, which he always is, isn't he, Chris? But um, I thought, there's something here. So we started talking about and I said, oh, I, I read that you've got a Christmas album coming out and it was revealed that actually earlier that week he'd been in the studio in um, Islington in North London recording with a 22-piece orchestra. Goodness me. And he said, I'm going to play you something that I haven't even played many people yet. Right. And I got a little sample. And oh, honestly, he's a crooner. He was really good. Is he better than Venables? Yes. Ooh. Okay. I would say better than Venables. Better than the guy at Spurs this week? Opening of the new stadium. Very exciting. Oh, oh yeah. Go compare. It was him, wasn't it? <laughs> 
the, the, the vision that you see on the advert is also the voice. Well, Chris is uh, going to have to go some to beat a little ditty by uh, the Arsenal trio of Peter Cech, uh, Alexis Sanchez on keyboard, by the way, Peter Cech on drums, and Nacho Monreal. This was dug up by producer Abby from the depths of football history, uh, or perhaps it was consigned or maybe hidden. Not quite sure. It's awful, by the way. Listen to this. You just, you just uh, follow my hi-hat. So you, you follow. The absolute epicness of that was Nacho Monreal on the Jingle Bells, everyone. <laughs> Fine I, work. I was aware that they were trying to put a band together. They've got some... <laughs> They've got some players that <laughs> really all like music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, a really good week for Wolves. I know, and I, and it delights me that I'm sat here next to Haley oh, as a Manchester oh, United fan gloaty, this week. Gloaty, gloaty, gloaty. Sorry, bum. but I mean, you have been our team. In fact, our crowd started singing, can we play you every week? <laughs> You're a disgrace. You've done well against top six sides, though. Very well. Yeah. So one three, drawn four, lost two. Although we kind of gifted you that, though, didn't we? I mean, down to ten men. Mike Dean's one hundredth red card. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think it was a gift actually, because you know that was Darren Fletcher's analysis actually on Sky. I, I thought that was wholly taking something away from Wolves because I think for the first 20 minutes you look brilliant McTominay by the way looked like a great player I mean lots of people questioning that it was a weaker midfield that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had selected maybe questionable with Fred but I actually thought McTominay was the best player for United and it looked like you were going to go and win but I thought as soon as Wolves got the equaliser the game really turned and yet they needed to to take that bounce into the FA Cup semi-final on Sunday against Watford I saw Nuno afterwards he's starting to get used to me now (laughs) Um, And uh, he gave me the thumbs up and I said, I'll be there on Sunday. And he said, me too. (laughs) (laughs) I like that humour. All right. Uh, Remember, you can get in touch with us throughout the week at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. There's loads of stories on Insta too. And on Twitter, it's football, but a different perspective from our team there. Make sure that you've subscribed to the podcast via your favourite app as well. Time to get on to what's coming up on this week's show. Down in history, just a handful of games remaining this season. Plenty of voting going on for who we think our player of the season is. So we're going to be taking a little look at some nominees with the help of some Twitter followers. We're also going to be talking gone down as well. This season has seen 40 managers come and go. Former England manager Steve McLaren, one of the latest to be added to that list uh, as uh, he and QPR parted ways with just one win in 15 matches. So let's go back and have a look at past England managers. Is this a curse? How are they getting on now? But first, going down. This week, we've waved goodbye to um, our first and second relegated teams in the Premier League. Huddersfield went after losing 2-0 to Palace on Saturday. Fulham, they went after being thoroughly thrashed by Watford on Tuesday, confirming their return to the Championship as well. Lindsay, you were at Selhurst Park for the demise of Huddersfield. Tell us what it was like. Well, I have to say from my own professional point of view, it was a first for me as well because I had to break it to the captain of Huddersfield, Chris Schindler. Oh, no, That they really? had gone down, yeah. Oh, gosh. So oh, that was a horrible thing to do. And I, I'll tell you how that played out. It was obviously relying on results elsewhere as well. So Burnley needed to win, Southampton needed to win and Huddersfield needed to lose in order for them to be confirmed as relegated. And of course, that actually transpired. It, it happened. But in the order that Huddersfield had actually, the full-time whistle had been blown and doing the interviews for the World Feed, straight off the pitch, I do the interview with the first player for the World Feed. So, of course, 
thinking that that might be the case, looking at the scores at the time, I went for the captain of, of Huddersfield to talk to him. But the game was still going on between Brighton and Southampton and it had five minutes added time. So he was stood there waiting to be interviewed by me and I was saying, I can't start this until this is finished because you might actually stay up if Brighton were to equalise. That would have felt like the longest five minutes did for both oh, of you. It no. did. I was just thinking, counting down. And then the, it wasn't very nice because, of course, it got confirmed. And then it was like, go. It didn't even give him 10 seconds. Oh, and to so, digest it. Was it like brilliantly awkward in that five minutes? Did you say something inappropriate that afterwards you thought, oh, my God, I shouldn't have said that just out of sheer? Because I would have been rambling nervously with this guy stood in front of me whose fate has been decided over five minutes of football. Well, he was such a brilliant professional. He was clearly feeling devastated about the result anyway, but he hadn't quite worked out that this was going to happen. So that little chat in between when he was wondering why why we were waiting Mm. was me saying to him, because this is probably going to be confirmed that you're relegated. And he just looked at me and gave me those doe-eyed, you know, look of shoot me now. Oh, (laughs) I felt really bad for them and they're such a lovely club. Huddersfield have been a delight to deal with for the whole season. Of course, they pulled off that miracle last season by staying up and they were a bit resigned to it anyway. It just came a little earlier than they thought. And of course, one of my questions had to be, you know, it's only March. It still was just March. Mm. So it felt like a very early one. They they hadn't actually surpassed Derby, who had the lowest points tally and had been relegated a day earlier than them. So they don't go down in the history books in that regard. But in terms of having to break the news and then to have to, have to respond, I thought he did brilliantly and his interview was great. Do you think the league, in the nicest possible way, Hayley, are better mm. off without Huddersfield? Yeah, you mentioned they were a delight, maybe not to watch as a footballing team, I'd rather to see a, com- a, yeah, a competitive game mm. every single week. And it is a shame that a club from Yorkshire is going down. We know, obviously, a little further north, you've got Middlesbrough, don't look like they're coming back up, and Sunderland relegated as well. So for the northeast of England, having Leeds United potentially be in the Premier League and reignite those great rivalries that they had, hopefully with Manchester United again. I know it's been a long time since they were both fighting competitively equally, and maybe even Sheffield United mm. as well. So there's a real battle there for two other Yorkshire clubs to come up and, and replace Huddersfield. So as far as the the area is concerned... As a Wolves fan, I'm not going to miss them, oh. to be honest. You know, they took six <laughs> points off us this season. If we had those six points, we'd probably be competing towards oh. Champions League. And Hayley, relegation in Scotland, nothing yet, but there's a good reason behind that. No, yeah, well, actually, it, there was a lot of criticism around the the, the the league splitting into two and think, well, how does that work? It seems a bit strange. So what happens is the top six break away from the bottom six and they all play each other in a sort of mini league until the end of the season. So even if you might be bottom at the moment, so we're kind of flitting between St Mirren and Dundee at the moment, they're kind of overtaking each other every week uh, right now, they could actually potentially finish a lot higher up than if they were just to play your Aberdeens and your Rangers and your Kilmarnocks and your Celtics for the last six games of the season. You've got a little bit more hope because you know you are in a more competitive fixture. And it actually makes the viewing a lot more interesting, certainly for me working on it as well mm. when you're watching the games in the bottom six because it forms its, its, its own league. 
Well, let's round up a few more of the relegations. Braintree have been relegated from the National League. They're not even bottom of the table. And the team who are last, that's Maidstone, aren't confirmed as relegated yet. That's due to them having a game in hand. But they do need to win their remaining matches to have a chance of survival. League One, there's a really well-publicised relegation battle going on there. Just three points separate 16th to 23rd. That's from Bristol Rovers to Rochdale. Kievo in Syria in Italy uh, have won just the one match this season. But here's a brain teaser for you. They've won just the one and drawn 11 matches of the 29 played. How many points are they on? They've won one, drawn 11. So you'd think that was 14? Yeah. Wrong. They're actually on 11 points after an early season points deduction for accounting irregularities. Isn't that unusual in Italy? Uh, And we're actually on minus points near the start of the season. And speaking of a points deduction, Lindsay, uh, Yeovil Ladies... Yes, uh, deducted 10 points after announcing that they're going into administration. Uh, They have got a right to appeal that, by the way, but at the moment it looks like it's dropped them to minus six points. They've won just one game as well, drawn one of 15 league games, and they look consigned to relegation. Speaking of that, I remember the season... Just to take you back to Middlesbrough, of course, you know how I like to reminisce. The season where they had <laughs> other team. yeah, three points deducted and they got relegated, but still managed to finish the season having one more points than Coventry, Southampton, Sunderland and Nottingham Forest. So there you go. They reached two cup finals that year, of course, the replay against Leicester and defeat against Chelsea. Um, I was there for both of them. So reaching two domestic cup finals was huge for Middlesbrough, but at the expense of being relegated, having only just been Mm. promoted, of course. And I remember being in the lift of the hotel when we'd gone to watch the FA Cup final, already been relegated, just lost, of course. Everyone was really deflected. We were staying on one of the really high floors. I've mentioned this before, and I got in the lift with my dad, who was on the coaching staff at the time, and Steve Gibson had got into the lift as well. We were all going down to get on... Um, the bus to take us to the coach and head back up north and we'd all gathered lots of us in the lift and we were dropping down all the floors to get to the basement to get on the bus and of course we were stopping and stopping and stopping and every time we stopped the lift said going down (laughs) going down and we all just stood there silent with raging hangovers just feeling yeah utterly utterly depressed what a cruel twist of fate Uh, well that's it for the teams who are going down next up steve mclaren This is the Offside Rule from Money Knees Media. All right, so this has gone down. Steve McLaren, no longer QPR manager. They were on a poor run, weren't they? Overall, McLaren oversaw 46 fixtures, winning 16, drawing 9, losing 21. Not a bad set of stats, but it's the recent form, really, that I think seen him off into the sunset. Seeing as Steve McLaren is a former England manager, and that actually this is ringing some bells with me because former England managers don't generally seem to have a great time, do they? And he obviously saw his time out as England manager, being known as the Wally with the Brolly after um, England uh, failed to get to a major tournament. He left and uh, just generally hasn't enjoyed a fabulously glittering career afterwards. So let's look at what's happened to a couple of other England managers. Let's go Hayley and Big Sam. Yeah, I think we all know what happened with Big Sam after his one game in charge for England, the national team, which was his, of course, dream job. We know how it worked out. Of course, Gareth Southgate coming in and not doing too badly himself. So it kind of almost worked in England's favour, really. He didn't actually break the FA rules at the time. There was an investigation, of course, which was done by the Telegraph. He just showed a disregard for them. Okay. Okay. Obviously, he went to Palace and then to Everton. It did not 
end well at Everton at all. When he found out about him losing the job, he said, I'm shocked, disappointed and actually disgusted that the football club didn't have the decency to tell me my director of football and my staff about the changes. So they were looking for a long-term plan, apparently. And it looked like when they appointed Sam... That he wasn't a long-term plan. He was just a short-term fix. And he didn't know that. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, he said, well, it must have been in the pipeline for a considerable time, but no one thought to tell me and my staff. And he did say before he took the Everton uh, job, he wants to savour his life, that he's relatively young and healthy to do all the things I want to do, travel and spend time with family and grandchildren. But I bet you if a big club comes calling, oh, yeah. he'll, be, he'll be straight in there. He's uh, one of Dudley's claims to fame, by the way. Yeah, Dudley. Dudley legend. <laughs> yeah, and, and my mum and dad gave me some good chitter chatter for him you know when you're waiting um, to speak to someone so I used to deal with him when he was at West Ham quite a bit mm. and my mum and dad told me about this dance in Dudley near Dudley Castle that everyone went to it was the place to be Lindsay when you were younger and um, Sam Allardyce worked there Oh, um, really? And that's where everyone used to hang out and go to this dance. And my mum and dad knew of him and my uncle knew of him. They didn't know him, but they, they knew that he worked there. And I brought it up and he was like, oh, yes, I remember those days at the dance. I can see him blah. as a bouncer. <laughs> yeah, just serving you'd cocktails. make a good bouncer now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I worked with him before I came back to Sky for Al Jazeera, now known as Bein, out in Doha. And I was presenting a breakfast show. He was doing the the World Cup games in the evening. It was 2010 South Africa World Cup, and you'd have lots of pundits staying in this one particular hotel, and you'd enjoy your downtime by heading to the pool, having a bit of a swim. There was a really hot jacuzzi, and we were in Doha in the summer. It was like 47, 48 degrees. How the hell the World Cup is going to be held there obviously oh, it's going to be a different yeah. time of year I will never know but there's a, there was an ice bath that you could dip into that I never managed to plunge myself into because I'm a wimp Sam was he ruled with that <gasps> and I'd like to show off and then get into the jacuzzi afterwards but you couldn't stay in that too long because it was too hot anyway a certain Mr Guardiola Ooh, yeah no. who was at Barcelona at the time walked around the side of the pool I sort of saw this handsome man in speedos out the corner of my eye with another two sort of handsome, suave, Spanish, Italian-looking gents and realised, and, and Sam was nudging me. I was in the jacuzzi with Sam. His wife was there as well. It wasn't it, it wasn't weird. <laughs> Sam was in his awkward. big, long shorts. He's, he's, he's great fun. It was completely innocent, and, and they all looked after me really well. They very much did. I was one of the only few females there, so a lot of the original wags took me under their wing. And Pep was coming over and he kind of stood and he was lingering. And Sam was obviously, you could tell he was desperate to get out of the jacuzzi because it was just too hot. <laughs> but he didn't with his belly and his shorts. And I, yeah, I didn't want to get out in my swimsuit either. So we just sat there absolutely sweating <laughs> until he'd gone because we were just too embarrassed to be stood in our swimwear um. next to these... You know, these, these gods. Mm. Yeah, there you go. Before Sam, uh, Roy Hodgson, and we all know that he is doing a pretty good job at Crystal Palace. Fabio Capello, what about him? Ketchup banning Fabio Capello, struggled with the English language, had a fairly decent win rate though, didn't he? 66%. Um, but I don't think he was very popular with the players. And um, didn't ingratiate himself, it has to be said, uh, with uh, many people in the England setup. And someone out at uh, Brazil in 2014 involved with the England setup told me that actually Fabio had spent most of his initial time with the team calling Joe Hart John instead, mm-hmm. um, which was apparently, according to Joe Hart, when we spoke spoke to him, Lindsay, it was all about Italians uh, normally calling people 
John rather than Joe. Apparently it was a standard thing, wasn't it? But mm. personally, I, th- I think it was just a faux pas with the name. However, Fabio's retired from coaching now. Um, last seen as a manager of Chinese side Jiang Zhu Suning, where uh, former Chelsea midfielder Ramirez plied his trade. But Capello was sacked after the side finished 12th out of 16 teams. So not great for Capello, not a great end to his managerial career. Who's next? I'll tick off a couple more. So I saw Glenn Hoddle this week. So on a really positive note, he is back doing punditry work. He was in doing some Premier League at um, IMG this week and he looked really well. So that was great to see because obviously he's had a very torrid time lately. But he's back and he's doing lots of punditry work again. So he will be doing a lot more television in the forthcoming months, I'm sure. And I also wanted to mention Kevin Keegan because very recently, uh, if you're wondering what he's doing nowadays, he is signed he's still doing coaching but he's coaching the new club of entrepreneurs it's for a tech company a mobile tech company called big change wow okay i spotted he was by the way the one person who i loved his resignation it came in the toilets (laughs) he resigned in the wembley toilets and he also had some iconic moments throughout his career because he he had the final game at the old wembley stadium where england lost to germany 1-0 after that he did go on to manage manchester city and again took a new stadium there because they went to the City of Manchester Stadium during his tenure and he brought in lots of different players there by the way David Seaman Steve McManaman he bought there early on I think when, when he went there and Nelka he signed a Nelka as well and then he went back to Newcastle of course that shock return to Newcastle mm-hmm. after Sam Allardyce bringing it full circle one of the big bones of contention for Keegan after the England job when he came out and spoke in his autobiography was to do with the assistant that he wanted. So when he was England manager, he really wanted Arthur Cox, who the FA told him was too old, age 60, to be his assistant. Oh, ageist. Then Sven Joran Eriksson comes in and he brings in Todd Grip, who was 64. <laughs> so you can imagine how annoying that would be. Yeah. Like one person tells you one thing and then they go and do another. Well, talking of Sven, have a listen to this, actually. This was the result of Haley and Lindsay flying to Norway and driving to Sweden to go and see Sven. And then I'm thinking about uh, buying a football club somewhere, oh. not in England. Might be a bit expensive in England, unfortunately. That's the way things have gone. That's too expensive on a lower level. And because football is, has been my life and I miss football. That was an excerpt from the Offside Rule exclusives. You can check out the full library on Audio Beam or wherever else you find us on your podcast app. I will never get over that sight of him waiting on the doorstep for us, by the way, as we turned up in a, in a oh, rental ladies. car. <laughs> um, let's talk Hope Powell, former Lionesses manager. Yeah, of course. Hope Powell, of course, left England after a very, very lengthy spell as their manager and completely changed how England was. When she left, they had an under-15s, under-17s, under-19s and under-21 teams, a senior team of professionals as well. They had nothing when she arrived. She really built that up. She was a a real, real champion of of women's sport, having been a player herself, extremely passionate. There obviously came a time when they wanted somebody uh, new and fresh and they felt like the England uh, women's team needed to move forward differently. I was just surprised that the FA didn't keep hold of her somewhere, even within the men's game or on the board, just somewhere. I think she was just kind of left and she'd gone. And I remember back in the day when she was England manager, if there were jobs coming up in, in, in the championship, or or lower in the Premier League, you would often find her name with the names of the the regulars that we see. Of course, mm. your Alan Kerbish, your Sam Allardyce is up there. Yes, quite big odds, mm. uh, but she she'd always be up there linked. And then she just kind of disappeared, really. Yeah, I think I think she was really 
upset by that. Mm. She felt she'd been sort of ignored for anything within uh, the sort of future of the Lionesses or the England setup at all. And now at Brighton. Yeah, she is. Of course. And, and they were promoted in 2015. The club had set out a five-year plan to reach the FAWSL1 and uh, the Women's Champions League. And they've done that. They're in the top tier, of course. And she won the Super League Manager of the Month for February. So I think she's enjoying life at Brighton. Nice one. Two BAME managers as well, of course, at Brighton and Chris Hutton and Hope Powell. So I think they're doing everything right there. Mm. Well, talking of the Lionesses, this week we learned of another deal, another sponsorship deal. Boots have announced that they're kitting out at the Home Nations and the Republic of Ireland for Euro 2021 and, of course, the forthcoming World Cup as well. And I've been thinking about how Boots can really really kind of um, make a name for themselves with the Lionesses, take full advantage of this deal. And so I was thinking, well, perhaps they get involved with the names on the back of the shirts and perhaps we self-style the names according to Boots products. So I'm going to get you started with Fran. I've told you both before that I'm awful at these sorts of things. You've tried to get me to do it. I'm going to start you off with (laughs) Fran Kirby Grips. And I've got to come back with another one. Yes, come on. Um, Well, I said Millie, Millie Bright Eyes. Oh. Okay. I've got Lucy Bronzer. Absolutely love that mm. one. I can also give you Tony Support Duggan. I'm going to give you <laughs> Filler Your Cheeks Neville. Love that. <laughs> Filler Your Cheeks Neville. Uh, Jill Scotton Pads. Oh. Who was that? Producer Abby. Thank you very much for that one. <laughs> Ellen Teeth Whitener. Yes. Well done. Ellen Teeth Whitener. Hair Curly Telford. Izzy Christian Diorson. Kira Mouth Walsh. Nikita Chanel Paris. Oh. Oh, Nikita Chanel Paris. I like mm. it. But I think the one that tops all of these ridiculous oh. names off is Lindsay Well, Hooper. she's also only on the fringes of the England squad, but we'll go for it. Sophie 5P for a bagley. <laughs> I'm Graham Wilcos, here to tell you that the Bradley Wiggins show from Eurosport is back for a brand new series. For 20 years, I've just been called a hero and a legend, you know, and other things, obviously, but only behind the back. <laughs> we'll bring you stage-by-stage analysis of the Giro d'Italia, the World Championships, La Vuelta, and, of course, the Tour de France. Oh, he's got it in. Second time down, he's back Each week, Sir Brad and our panel of cycling experts will be taking a deep dive into the world of two wheels and lycra. Brailsford could put his hand down a toilet and pull chocolate out. The Bradley Wiggins Show from Eurosport is your essential guide to the greatest events in cycling. Subscribe now on Audioboom, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. All right, let's move on to topic three, down in history, that time of the season where we think about the last nine months or so, who's been the most influential, significant, valuable player in the league. Hayley, let's start with you. Okay, Paul Pogba. No, only kidding. Um, I could make a case for him, uh, uh, but it would be completely biased. Needs to be a player that's consistent, and this man is Mr. Consistent, not just this season, but for the last five seasons. I'm going for a Manchester City player. It is... Aguero. He looks to be on the uh, verge of breaking the 20 goal mark as well for the fifth consecutive season. And I'm always so surprised. We all talk about the greatest players in Europe and in the world. He's one of the greatest in the Premier League, naturally, but we never kind of link his name up when you're talking of Ronaldo and Messi. Do no, we? You're right. I like how you rolled your you know? R then. Ronaldo. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that was. Um, he's now scored as many goals uh, for City as Henri did for Arsenal. And he's done it in 43 fewer games as well. He's currently out injured at the moment. Most City players, you take one out of the squad and they've got such a team of stars 
that you've always got cover there that is world class. You don't need to worry too much. I do feel when you take Aguero out of the side, you worry and think, oh, he's your one man that you do not want to be missing from a Manchester City side. He's never been player of the year at the PFA Awards, despite three titles for City Which in seven insane, years. insane, actually, yeah. isn't it? No City players won it, actually. Mm. I mean, that's just absolutely madness. Yeah, he's got great players assisting him and working alongside him in Sane, Kevin De Bruyne and Silva and David Silva as well as Bernardo Silva. Um, he's working in a team of stars and you do wonder if you take him out of there, would he be as brilliant? Of course he would. Yeah, of course yeah, he would. Yeah. But that, that's sometimes the argument. But I do feel like he's getting better and better and I can still appreciate him even as a Manchester United fan. Even with that hair? Well, I mean, the hair's questionable, but that's his thing. We'll let him off. I mean, look at David Beckham. So I'm going to give you Virgil van Dijk, obviously, because I'm a Liverpool fan, but also because you cannot overlook. He's my pick, definitely, for player of the season. Liverpool league leading 17 clean sheets. Van Dijk's not shy of scoring goals either, is he? Which is always good to see from a defender. Speaking of defenders, one of them has not won a PFA player of the year since John Terry 14 years ago. So it's high time we did this. Joined Liverpool from Southampton in 2017 as the world's most expensive defender at 75 million. Could have been a risk, but by goodness, was that money well spent. Uh, so he's might it. Yeah, having all that pressure on him as well as being that player. I know we're just headlines and headlines. I remember repeating it over and over on Sky Sports News. And he has well and truly yeah. lived up to that, mm. hasn't he? I think if Liverpool go on to win the title, then really you can't come away from that. But the problem with this award at the yes. moment is that it gets voted so early on. Mm. And with Manchester City going for a quadruple as it stands, Mm-mm. I really feel that they are in the in the main driving seat for the title as well. I mean, it, it could go right down to the wire, but... What? <laughs> you have to just look at the, the games ahead and the fact that they are ahead as we record this. Uh, so if they carry on winning, which they seem to be likely to do, then they would win the title. And with that in mind, I would like to look at a City player and an England player as well. Everyone knows who I'm going to say because it's very well documented that he's a contender. It's Raheem Sterling. Mm. And the reason why I'm so impressed with him is if City go on, I think they will win, win multiple trophies this season. I don't know whether it'll be the quadruple or even a triple, but I think they'll win two at least. He has been such a critical part of that team. He has raised his game. He's been clinical in his finishing. 19 goals overall for City this season in all competitions. He's also showing that he can score important goals. But I I also think that a massive part of this that comes into this voting has to be his off-the-pitch activity as well. And I think this season, you know, the letter he did for the Players' Tribune, he sent a letter to a fan who'd had some racial abuse. He's been very outspoken on social media about that. And I think he is really making change, making waves, as well as doing it on the pitch. So for that reason, I would say him. But um, looking at the tweet that we put out on social media saying that we were going to be discussing this, Bernardo Silva's been mentioned, and I think he has had a fantastic season as well. Andy Robertson at Liverpool, Mm. he's had a fantastic campaign and also a player that was not expected to be delivering on this level so consistently either. And you were saying about Wolves to me before we came in to record this, you were like, has anyone mentioned Wolves players? Lots of people have mentioned Neves. For me, he is a brilliant player. I think there's more to come from him. And I think that, you know, we haven't seen many of those wonder goals. We saw a free kick against Everton at the very first game of the season. And we've seen him score a few penalties and be very much the play passing through him and him and Moutinho playing well together. But 
I would say that Jimenez at Wolves, you know, to have a striker that's come in, you know, newly promoted team and has managed, uh, he will be, I don't know, maybe getting past 15 goals by the end of the season. Mm. I think that's impressive. Other shouts for Declan Rice, uh, awareness and ability. As you say, Bernardo Silva, Zinchenko, outstanding for City this season, says uh, another one of our followers, Lingard for United. A couple of shouts for Aaron Wambasaka as well, one for Timo Pukki. Young player, I think he might get. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, some interesting Thanks very much to David Ronnie, Chelsea Downing, Fima Crindle and various others who've got in touch with us. Half and Half Scarves was was another one. He must have been listening last week. Uh, thank you very much for those votes on Insta and on Twitter. Any other business? Uh, we need to make this snappy, ladies. So, Lindsay, you want to talk about Adele Tarapt? I do. I noticed on Twitter feed that Adele Tarapt uh, finally made his Benfica debut after... Four years. What? How can you make your debut for a team after four years? How have they not got rid of you by then? The most Um, patient player ever. Yes. And it it got me looking at other ones. So Jonathan Woodgate at Real Madrid was there for a season and was yet to kick a ball there. Famous. And Um, when he did... Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. Um, Vuoso, the Argentine striker who went from Independiente to Santos Laguna. Um, 13 gameless months for him. Mm, um, he was very much an Independiente for those, uh, yeah. for those months, wasn't he? Uh, great to see that Callum Hudson Adoy and Phil Foden have made starts, Premier League starts for their clubs, by the way. Before Hudson Adoy started, by the way, he played only a stellar 4% of Chelsea's game time, total game time this season, wow. which is not great. But there I'm is there is one that trumps the lot, including Tarapt, and it's the Liverpool signing. Oh, <gasps> um, it was Jorgen Nielsen. Mm. Spent four years, 11 months at Anfield without <laughs> playing a competitive game. Wow. <laughs> Spaceburger. I've been obsessed by this this week. What's the footballing connection? We'll wait for it. A YouTuber called Tom Staniland sent a Big Mac about 24 miles up into space. So he bought a Big Mac, strapped it to a weather station that was attached to a helium balloon. Okay, one of those little mini weather station things. Sent it up to see if he could get his burger into space. He did. There are some awesome pictures on his YouTube channel, by the way. Guess where it came down? Set off in Sheffield... Guess where it came down? I do know this because I heard it I know it, it as week. well. I saw it. But it's brilliant. The groundsman at Colchester United's training ground suddenly found this sort of half <laughs> balloon with a little platform made of plastic and a burger on it and thought, what is this? Luckily, the YouTuber Tom found it on his tracker, bombed down to Colchester and said, you've got my burger <laughs> and... He gave it a taste. Oh. Does it taste oh. out of this world, Thomas? It's drying my mouth out. <laughs> Go on, you have to swallow it now. Uh, ah. That's it, gone. I've eaten a burger from space. There we go, that's it. The end, done. <laughs> uh, you can check out the whole thing on Tom Staniland's, um YouTube channel. Hayley, anything from you? Well, you obviously mentioned a couple of young players making their debuts. What about a man that has been playing for longer than probably their parents have been alive in Foden, Hudson Adoy. 79-year-old Colin <laughs> Lee is Britain's oldest goalkeeper. He's still playing for his local club. He started playing football 73 years ago oh, when he wow. was six and he's still playing. He's a Wolves fan, oh, Lindsay. Yes. Of course um, he is. He's got, he's got arthritis in his hands and knees. 
and he says he really struggles. He does get a bit stiff after the games, but he plays with his son, who's 50, his grandson, who's 21. It really is a family affair. He does jobs around his local football club as well. He doesn't just turn up and play. He very much invests into the community and, and, and the club. And he said, I can still play a full 90 minutes, but I also do a lot behind the scenes. And we're currently trying to build a new clubhouse and community centre for future oh, generations. on him. Mm. I like that very much. Lindsay Hooper, the Offside Rule podcast has been nominated for an award. It has the Webbies. I'm so excited. So this is like the Internet Awards, okay? The awards for the whole of the internet. Yeah, wow. that's what this is. <laughs> that's big. It yeah. is big, um, and we're in the uh, sports podcast category. There is a link via our Twitter account. So if you go to at Offside Rule Pod, please, yes. please, please. I feel like I'm I'm getting into yes. begging territory. But would you vote? Because at the moment, I think we're bottom. So oh, I what are yeah, we? I went and checked, How and it has the tell? per- it tells you the percentages oh, when you go and God. vote. Okay. How many computers are around this? Room yeah. So if you don't mind, in. if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a vote because we quite like email addresses. I'd yes, like please. a transatlantic flight as well. I think the award ceremony is out in the US. Isn't it, it is. It's called the People's Voice, not the People's Vote. Nothing to do with Brexit, but the People's Voice on this awards, and so you can vote for us. Uh, head over to at Offside Rule Pod for the full details, and of course, there's loads of information on the show and lots of nuggets from us there as well. That is it for this week's Offside Rule podcast. Make sure that you've subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts, Audio. Spotify and everywhere else where you get your podcasts from. Hayley, how does someone leave us a review? Well, all we have to do is go and press the final star of the stars button. There are five empty ones. Just make sure you fill it right up there and leave us a review telling us how absolutely wonderful we are and how you enjoy listening. That's all you need to do. Yes, please. You can also follow us on Instagram as well. Loads of daily stories up on there at Offside Rule Pod and our website, OffsideRulePodcast.com, for all the latest articles, including Tom Dean looking at equality at Lewis FC, where the ladies are paid as much as the men. Fantastic. Some good stuff going on at that club. Really interesting story. So head over to the website to read that and much more. Hayley, Lindsay, thank you very much indeed, and we'll speak to you all next time. The Offside Rule is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.